BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Tuesday, December 24th, but of course, you'll listen to this anytime because it's a podcast and how it goes with podcasts. As we always do with uh, bonus time of the Ben Jarofsky Show, I ask my distinguished guests to introduce themselves. So we're going to ask uh, distinguished guest number one to introduce himself right here. Good morning, evening, afternoon, whenever you're listening. I guess that's how podcasts work. My name's Cody Wilkins. I am born and raised on the south side of Chicago, the Hyde Park, Kenwood area. Went to Whitney Young with one Rachel Jarofsky. Dolphins. And, uh, <laughs> Dolphins. Dolphins. <laughs> uh, now I am uh, what I like to call a word mercenary. Uh, people say, what do you like to write? And I say, for money. <laughs> so I'm out in New York doing stand-up comedy and looking for my next TV writing gig, trying to string it all together. And distinguished guest number two, you've already been sort of outed. Uh, my name is Rachel Jarofsky. What's that, that last name again? Jar- Rachel yeah. Jarofsky, daughter of Ben Jarofsky, second born, feel me, last but certainly not least. <laughs> um, I am a comedian, writer, actress based in New York, uh, but grew up in Chicago. Um, went to Whitney Young with Cody, went to Franklin Fine Arts Center for elementary grammar school, and am now... Uh, uh, based in New York, just being scrappy, trying to make it all work. All right, very good. And I thought it would be a good idea to do a bonus show at Christmas time uh, with Cody and Rachel. Or I've been friends forever and ever. Cody, why don't you uh, talk about uh, meeting Rachel? How about that? Meeting Rachel way back when? Oh, this could be good. Mm-hmm. Meeting Rachel, it's tough to bring it down to an exact moment. <laughs> uh, we. I think brought a lot of the same energy and enthusiasm to uh, overlapping friend groups, gr- friend groups at Whitney Young. Yeah, I think the best thing about Whitney Young is it it pulls from all corners of the city, and consequently ends up being a lot more, at least when we were there in the arts, a lot more uh, representative from a diversity standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, from diversity of thought, how people look, what your politics might be from where you're from the city. So, you know, we're in Blue House, Red House, just going crazy. Everybody's rapping and having a good time and talking. And Rachel and I, I think we're drawn together, one, because of just like the silliness and the energy, and two, people were partying together. And like I, for the first time, was hopping in carpools, go all the way to the north side to hang out. And people were coming all the way down to the highlands. Yeah, and Rachel was always in that crew uh, hanging hanging with the girls and the guys that I was kicking with, and we just had a ball, and it was easy to kick it. Also, very sporty. Don't sleep on the athleticism of the Jarofsky family. Rachel got a lot of pub for being an absolute athlete. So I, I was. I was. Uh, basketball player, track, big runner. Hooper? Yeah, big hooper. And Cody, 
star soccer player. Although I have taught, <laughs> we've had conversations like pretty recently where I was like, bro, like, you know, I didn't care. I didn't give two shits about the soccer team. No. Like only cause you were on, I was like, oh, that's my friend. Right. But like could not care about the sport, the craft of the sport. Totally fair. Not my, not my game. Well, let's just talk about this for a moment. There's sort of like a social stereotypes are going, throwing out the window. Right. Uh, we have a black man from the South side of Chicago and a white woman from the North side of Chicago. You would think on social stereotypes that the woman would be the soccer player right. and the man would be the basketball player, right. but it's oh, reversed. Yes. Total comes Total through swap. sound effects. Right. <laughs> My dad's been doing sound effects like all show long. And I'm like, don't you have a soundboard for that? Doesn't need it, you know? <laughs> Why? I'm here. Uh, put me to use. Uh, so how did you uh, find your way playing soccer? Why did you play basketball? I did. I played Soccer, basketball, I did gymnastics, ran track. All as a kid, you know, you're four years old and you got a ton of energy. My parents just put me in stuff to stay busy and, and you know, knock out some energy. And I think as I got older, and what was it? In Hyde, in Hyde Park, we had a travel soccer team that was predominantly black. Uh, a lot of guys from, you know, from the Highlands, from Hyde Park, from Kenwood, Woodlawn, we all played in the same neighborhood, AYSO soccer thing. And got into travel soccer, but as we got older, guys started peeling off to go play basketball, more seriously to go play football, maybe run track, do something else. And I just wanted to be good at something. And soccer was what I was best at. And I said, okay, well, long-term, I'd like to be a professional athlete. And that means playing in college. That means like being on varsity in high school. You know, I'm 12 years old. I said, well, I guess I'll stop doing everything else and just focus on soccer. And it was strange for sure, because you know, this is 2004, five, six. We didn't have the same level of political correctness in eighth grade, you know, mm -mm. carpools and stuff. And people used to say a lot of pretty flagrant things about soccer and soccer players. And such as what? You know, it's just, oh, soccer's gay. That's so soft. Yeah. Get, get, you know, get tackled, you know, go hoop, da da da. And, and so in and around the city and in the neighborhood, I, I dealt with some of that ribbing uh, and had to, I think, looking back on it, Humor was what helped me stay involved in my social groups in the city with folks who looked like me, thought like me, came from my neighborhood. And as I got older and started playing at a higher level, at the club level, and you know, looking at college showcases and standing there, I'm going out to Lockport and LaGrange, way out in the suburbs, playing on these all-white teams, and now I'm the only black person out in the suburbs surrounded by all these white people who come from a different background and maybe have different thoughts. And so again, humor was the way that I burst my way into that bubble. and. That's how I, I think I ended up being in that world through sports. But it was really different. But I will say it was pretty cool being able to cross both lines in, mm. in high school. You know, being from my neighborhood and coming up with the people that I came with that were black and brown and, and hung out. So I was in with them. And then it was cool. Like Sports gives you social capital as a teenager in high school. Especially so, Whitney Young. Yeah, Whitney Young. I, I still, I, I wasn't going downstate with the basketball team but I was getting recruited and winning championships and doing stuff with the soccer team. So that mattered a little, mm -hmm. it mattered enough for me to, to hang on and, and kick it with Rachel and the cool kids. So, <laughs> so Rachel, I know that you as a child really wanted to play soccer and your parents wouldn't let you. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. It didn't really happen that way. So how did you not play soccer? Well, obviously, you know, you know the story, but for the fans out there, you know, the listeners got to lay it out for them. I, my father is wholehearted, was wholeheartedly <laughs> obsessed with seeing his daughters play basketball. Um, but, and you know this, 
this that like around the time that you were taking the deep dive on that uh, covering Roosevelt High School's uh, ba- varsity basketball team, I was in need of a babysitter, which for some reason <laughs> you guys didn't want to hire a Right. So you the were hoop. just <laughs> right. Basketball raised me. Feel me? Um, so you would, you know, you would wake me up from my nap every at around 2 p.m. You're like, Rich, get up. I'll get you a Coke. You know what I mean? I'll get you a donut. Yeah, donuts used to be the ticket. They were the ticket. And you would bring me to this gym on, where's Roosevelt? Near uh, Roosevelt Northwest is side? on, it's on the Northwest side. It's on uh, Wilson and Kimball. Right. And, you know, and I was, and those, I would say those were the beginnings of my, because Cody and I, we were both what you would call crossovers yes. at, at right. Whitney Young, right. where, you know, Whitney Young is a highly diverse school, but there's, it's, you know, run, at least when we were there, there was a lot of self-segregation. Yes, yes. Faces the same self-segregation yeah. as the city located. Exactly. And so there are a few members that sort of are able to uh, cross over between the segregated groups. So I, I I crossed over into the black group, Cody crossed over into the white group, and I think that, you know, there was a degree, if the groups were going to come together or if some integration was going to occur, it not to, you know, give us a fucking peace prize, right. but if you had to. Um. <laughs> there, was, there were certain people that acted as mortar that brought the two social bricks together. together. I like that. Exactly. I like that. I would That's say a good that. analogy. I would say that. And I would say that we played that role. Um, and I would also say, to go back to Roosevelt High School, those that was the very first, you know, early days of me crossing over as young little four-year-old white girl in the gym, you know, trying to shoot the basketball. The yeah. I know. <laughs> During halftime, and you know, that was a predominantly black space, I'd say, at that time. I don't know it what Roosevelt is like time, now. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, I was like, you know, the only, you know, this little white girl in the gym. And then that sort of was my my total childhood was being the little white girl in the gym. Um, and by the time I went to Whitney Young, I was just sort of used to like that role and used to being fish out of water. And it's funny that we're both comedians now. Yeah. And, you know, I think that like in a similar way that you use comedy to, you know, find your footings in spaces where you were a fish out of water, I totally did the same thing because I feel like if you're a white kid growing up in predominantly black spaces, you got to be able to laugh at yourself and just like be able to make fun of white people, make fun of white culture or lack thereof. Right. Um, and yeah, like kind of, um, use humor as a way of, um, building trust, I think. Huge, yeah, Um, absolutely. And that's definitely what I did all throughout high school. And I think meeting you in high school, you're right. We were like, oh, you kind of move like I move. Yeah, there's a fluidity to to the spaces. And I think, again, being an athlete probably affords you some of that fluidity because your athletic serve is such a great equalizer socially Uh when you're on a team. Well, I I gotta tell you, caught me off guard, uh, Cody, when I heard that you were a comic because man, I don't really know all the kids that uh, my daughters bring me in touch with. I'm just meeting them, and I'm, I'm just since we're just opening up and sharing our, our our innermost secrets. I remember the first time I met you. Literally, the first time I met you, it was after Rachel's uh, uh, basketball game, and we had come back from a, a gym uh, on the south side. We were at Whitney Young. There was a, a varsity game in the Whitney Young gym, and Rachel sat next to her, and I sat next to her, and I, she introduced me, and you go, you know, hello, Mr. Jurofsky. <laughs> you were very polite. Uh, I was like a very polite, earnest young man. The last guy in the world I would have expected to be a comedian was, you know, I would have 
God expected you to go into politics or something like that. Yeah, you know, you are, uh, you just joined a long line of people who I've heard that from, uh, including my parents, really. I think I operate at one of two speeds. I mean, I'm either very serious or very silly. And the speed at which I bounce between the ends of those spectrum uh, kind of blow me away every now and then. When yeah. I, I think it's really funny, personally, to think that the majority of my life has been in pursuit of uh, game in terms of soccer and fun in terms of comedy because I'm not really a fun and games type of person when it comes to you know passionate pursuits or like really working uh, I even in even in stand-up environments now especially I'll, I'll go to an open mic in a different city and if I'm in visiting LA or in New York and Chicago and I'll, I'll just kind of hang out in the back and my face is pretty stale and stoic and I watch the comics and then I go up and you know flip the switch and I'm on and alive and, and performing I think that that sports mentality of diligence and merit-based progression in work and just like showing up and getting the reps in I tried to take it to comedy because that was the next best that was the next thing I was best at and it didn't exactly translate and it still doesn't translate but I think it serves as a, a unique it gives me a unique point of view a unique voice in the space where I am jealous of some of my comedy colleagues and art, artistic colleagues who really feel like Comedy is their identity, not just what they do. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I, I think I learned a valuable lesson in sports that I had to separate who I am from what I do in order to have like a healthy life, especially when you That's take so, so many true. L's in the comedy world. That I mean, is so damn so true. So many L's. <laughs> well, it damn. is. It is. Yeah, you just fucking took me to church, all right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, write uh, a book, I'll uh, read it. Uh, <laughs> it's a tweet, I'll tweet it. <laughs> I'm like weeping here. That was that like spoke to me too hard. Uh, you mentioned that you use humor. Uh, I was going to get Rachel's thoughts on this too. But we'll start with you, uh, Cody. You use humor when you were a kid. You were in the car, and uh, people were making fun of you for playing soccer. Uh, and uh, so, how did you use humor? Like, give me an example of like how would you play that? I think it's. Uh, I don't know the exact phrase. A friend of mine said something like "reducto ad absurdism" is something I just learned the other day. Where I believe, don't quote me on it, if you want to, if you're arguing with somebody and you're arguing A and they're arguing B, the way that you win is you argue B to such an absurd degree that they see where they're kind of wrong. Mm. So my brother, my older brother, who is my person, he's my hero. He's also always been much bigger and stronger than me. Uh, to this day? To this, uh, I got a couple inches on him now, but he still flexed me. Um, <laughs> but we'd be in the car Maybe me and him and some of his football guys, and they would talk about how soft soccer is. Uh, he was a oh, so these are the people, your your brother's yeah, friends. Yeah, my brother and his friends, and, yeah, and so they uh, soccer soft, and everybody's like a fairy, and you, get, you can't get touched, blah, blah blah. And so what I would do is just start acting real soft and flamboyant, and you know, change my voice a little bit, rub my hand through somebody's <laughs> hair, and just like be like, well, I'm obviously not what you're saying, but it is really funny that now I've embodied this character uh -huh. and now we're all playing it up. And instead of being defensive and pushing back, which at 11, 12, 13 years old, just riles up the base that's, you know, at your neck. Now we're all kind of laughing and making fun of it together. And it's like, yeah, no, it, it is funny that I'm too small to play football and like definitely couldn't beat you in a wrestling match. But uh, once we get out of this car, I'm going to go back to price. I'm probably going to go play division one college soccer and that's because there's not a lot of people yeah. in this field in the city competing with me that yeah. like look like so it's it worked its way out and the same thing in the suburbs when I was playing with all these all white kids 
that maybe I'm their only black friend, the only black person mm-hmm. they're really coming into contact with over the course of the day, things would be what we call now the word, we didn't have a word for it back then, but microaggressions would happen. Mm-hmm. Mildly, mildly racist things would happen coming from like a 15 year old kid. And the option is further isolate myself by pushing back and being angry mm-hmm. or understand that they're wrong and educate them by opening them up with some humor mm. and like humanize myself uh, to a greater degree with humor and hopefully go forward from there. Uh, I'm trying to think of like, was there anybody at the, like an adult in the car go, that would be inappropriate. That humor is inappropriate. Nah. No. No. Okay. Uh, no, I don't think. Nobody's no, no paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. No. What to get. Rach, you have any uh, similar experiences to that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, uh, I think in terms of, yeah, I mean, I was oftentimes, I think just similarly, like, I played the role of, like, not being afraid to be the butt of my own joke like I I and even now in my comedy like a lot of I mean I wrote a full I, I wrote a full show called Thirsty White Ally and it's all about you know uh the do good white person who's just like a little bit missing the mark it's hilarious I've taken that phrase into my real life I, yeah. I always call people thirsty white, thirsty white ally. yeah and it's just like I feel like I I grew up being the thirsty white ally and the whole idea is like you're not being afraid to be the butt of the joke like you're not afraid to laugh at yourself with your friends and like you know I remember you know being hanging out with my friends at basketball or even like you know hanging out on Sedgwick near school and you know just like everyone's making fun of white people and I'm just like either (laughs) and you you can't get defensive you it's a little bit different I feel like because I we live in a white world right Right. like for me for me like you know if I you know I'm a kid and I'm hanging out with a group of black kids and they're making fun of white people that's not punching down as we say say, it's not punching down like it's punching up and I feel like I quickly had to learn one not to get defensive and mostly because I had to learn like a vague, how gain a vague sense of the way the world works, which is that like, you know, potentially the people I'm friends with are not set up to win. Um, but two, I also had to find a way to, uh, you know, I had to find I had to find my lane. And a lot of times that was just like making folks laugh, you know, like so if it was like you know, we're rapping to a rap song and maybe I'm like doing it super white. You know what I mean? Like rapping in a really white way or, <laughs> you know, or just like, even though you know the regular way. Oh, I, I know. You and know I, all the lyrics. Right? Yeah. Every lyric. Um, yeah. I think it's just like making fun of white people, uh, you know, along with my friends and knowing that I could maybe even add my own flavor to it. Cause my ass is white and might know the nuance, you know what right. I mean? of like no the real white ass thing to do is this but then there was also this added layer of like i you know you know we're jewish dad as you know um and yeah we're you know we got a hundred i'm 100 percent ashkenazi uh shtetl trash you know what i mean um and uh i was a lot of like my friends my black friends jewish friend which is a whole nother element Uh um and i think that that was first of all i didn't grow up with a lot of other jews and i've a lot of times understood my jewishness in terms of, of like you know this idea of being the quote 
oppressed other in terms of my black friends. Um, and also, you know, I would I was always that kid that was like, man, I'm not white, I'm Jewish, which is like, <laughs> mm, not I, quite. Can I, I need to, go ahead. I, I need to tell, what is I, I need to out myself here. I actually didn't know that you were my Jewish friend really until maybe like junior year of high school. Really? I, did, I went, I grew up, I went to JCC. Yeah. I went, I had like friends, Jewish friends in middle school. I didn't even know that anyone, I didn't like any Jewish people existed, but I didn't, I never separated Jewish people from white people in my mind. I was like, oh yeah, no, yeah he's Jewish. Sure, but like, yeah. he's white though. Right. What is, what is the difference? I don't know. So it wasn't until I got to the middle of high school that it was like, oh word, there's a whole cultural difference. Look at that. Right. <laughs> it's a whole cultural yeah. difference for sure. And like. I'm so late. And there were for. <laughs> Better late than never. <laughs> it's so true. Don't worry. You've made it for lost time. Uh, no, he lives He lives right in the heart of, uh, what's it, Crown Heights. So oh, he's, yeah. he's in the cut. He lives by a grocery store called Kosher Town. So I'll just, everyone, right. he's, he's making up for lost times. So, um, <laughs> but. Growing out the sideburns. Yeah. <laughs> Pay is flaky, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that I think that both in terms of understanding my whiteness and my Jewishness, like it was just you know, less defensive to it, you know, bring humor into the interactions that would come to allow me to understand mm -hmm. what those things meant. Uh, you were talking about microaggressions. Talk a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. What's a microaggression like in a real example? Like an example of a microaggression. A real example, I think the simplest mm, one that I, I, I experienced, and I, I wish I could tell you that the Merriam-Webster definition of a microaggression, it unfortunately just comes as a feeling for me, that's not, so true. that's a real thing. But one that I experienced, right? I, I'm a pretty athletic guy, mm -hmm. a run fast, jump high. And that's because my dad, it was an athletic guy, run fast, you know, jump high, this and that and the other. But when I played soccer, it was often attributed to the imaginary extra muscle in my calf. <laughs> you know, like, right. a, yeah. of course, Cody's got, like, it, it comes in the form of this, it comes in the form of this backhanded compliment, like, yeah. dude, Cody can jump so high. I mean, obviously, he's black. So, and then you're like, well, that's just a very tired stereotype. Also, wait, wait, people would actually say that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, guys in the weight room, you'd be like, oh, well, if we're gonna do a, a relay today, if we're doing a relay race for whatever, whatever, I, I want Cody on my team. He's he's gonna be better, he's faster, he's black. So these are all white people. He's, yeah, these are all white people. Um, of course, they're, they're the only bad people on earth. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, there, that that was probably in an athletic sense. I, I, I'm for some reason at the moment blanking on a million like professional examples where maybe you can tell someone. Here's one, a great one is walking up to a, a table, say maybe a lunch table, dinner table of folks who are m maybe all not black mm -hmm. and showing up with another white person and they go around and shake everyone's hand regular and I go to shake everyone's hand regular and then one or two people go to just like dap up with me, like shake up with me. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. well you could also just shake my hand like a regular, yeah. I don't know you like that. Yeah. I right. mean, yes, I do know how to dap somebody up. Yeah. That you are correct with that assumption, but I feel, micro aggressed by you it, in, like it, impressing this stereotype and this behavior upon me that it would be very awkward for me to address for the group. Like there's a lot of negative utility on the group and when I could just like stomach that discomfort on my own and keep it moving and instead talk about it on a great podcast where you know now the whole world's gonna find you on the internet and, and bash you for it. You're, you know, you're canceled. Uh, yeah, I would say microaggression is like, <clears throat> 
Um, it's like a person-to-person interaction that in which one person is drawing on macro or worldly stereotypes um, in terms of what they might be assuming or saying to the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely feel like high school was ripe with microaggressions towards Jews. I mean, there were like a few token Jews in the cool kid crowd. Um, and like, <laughs> I would say one microaggression was assuming that me and the other Jewish kid were gonna get married and hook up, which we did hook up, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but the assumption, the assumption like throughout college and maybe it became predestined cause everyone was like, yeah, get the, get the Jews together and then send them to Israel right. or something. <laughs> but uh, you know, that assumption or even, um, and then there are even some interactions that are like, is that micro or macro right. or just overtly aggressive? Like any conversation where I would be asking about money or like, you know, say we all threw in for pizza and I'm like, wait, like how much do we owe or something? Yeah. One kid might be like, oh, Rachel, don't be such a Jew. Like I can't, I wouldn't be able to like even really talk about money as a Jewish person without the stereotypes around money being evoked right. in people's minds. Yeah, So, so in other words, uh, what you're telling me is that uh, people, uh, even at this high, uh, this, this high class high school that you guys went to, uh, they they felt uh, free to indulge their innermost biases and stereotypes against people. Like when they meet a black guy, they'll felt free to say to him, "Oh, well, you're going to be fast. I'm going to put you on my team." And when they met somebody who was Jewish, they would say, "Oh, you're only concerned about money because, of course, you're Jewish." Right. So people. Nobody felt in any way constrained or restrained to like mm, think maybe what I'm saying is offensive to this young man or this young woman. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think especially we do this all all of our lives as human beings. We make shortcuts and to to figure stuff out to get through the day or or interactions. And I think in, when you're in high school, middle school. Everyone wants to be quick. Everyone wants to be able to keep up with the crowd, and that means making a lot of shortcuts like that that turn macro aggressions into these inconsequential micro instances that on a one-off don't really matter, but when you stack all of them together or you sit and try and recall them, then it makes you really question what your experience was like uh, in that time. And one of the things I think about in my comedy a lot or try to get into a lot of my comedy is the idea that especially now in 2019 going into 2020 we all talk about how no group is a monolith black people are not a monolith jewish people are not a monolith men women everyone is different we all need to be treated as individuals but outwardly we still make a lot of shortcuts that treat people like a broad strokes group mm-hmm. uh and the mic when i think back i try and give a lot of my friends and acquaintances from back in the day the benefit of the doubt that there wasn't a lot of malintent in the the missteps that they made with me socially, um, but and and I I do my best to do that with you know grown adults now, but it's getting to the point where you gotta really sit down <laughs> and siphon out like, yeah. mm, are you coming at me sideways on purpose or do yeah, you just not tough. know better? It's tough. Um, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I had a microaggression moment the other, the other uh, week where I was, where I, the onus was on me, and I, I'm coming out about this. I was going into Union Hall, this comedy spot, uh, this comedy 
place where I, you know, I, it's a comedy club. Not a club. It's weird to call it's it a, a club. Venue. It's a comedy venue in Brooklyn. Uh, it's a weird vibe. It's broy, but I'll say all the bouncers who check IDs are black, black men. And I was, and there's two spots where you enter. There's like a little foyer, if if you will, you know, that's like weatherized. And then there's the actual door. So I was going into the foyer, and there was a tall, uh, uh, I would say, um, uh, stocky, tall, stocky. Uh, what's that? Long and tall, big and tall. Right, big and tall. It was big a big and tall, and tall uh, black man on his phone, look at, scrolling through his phone. And I was like, oh shit, let me get out my ID. I fully thought this man was the bouncer. Also, you should know that I am very scared of authority. This is something, and this is where microaggressions get confused, because I'm very scared of authority, and I'm like, oh God, I go in here, I gotta get my ID out quick, I'm like left over from age right. 21, I'm like, they're about to know it's a fake, they're right. about to send my ass out, then I gotta run from the cops, you know, and I grew up in Chicago, so I'm a little scared of the cops too, you know? Right. And so I'm like, okay, shit, let me get this out. Of course, I see this man, my heart's pounding, that I'm gonna somehow flub showing him my ID, even though I'm, what, 28, and more than legal. So I get out my ID, and he's not, He's not checking for me. He's not looking for me at all. And I'm like, is this a trick? Like, what's going on? And so I'm like, I literally just, I was also like, a little high. Split it into his <laughs> point of view, like over the screen of his I know, phone. I was, like, like, I, I was like holding it out, holding out my ID, like what's going on? It, I, you know what I mean? Because God forbid I go in and then he's like, that girl, get that rogue woman. You know what I mean? So I finally, he looks up and he obviously gets annoyed with me and is like, I, I, the, you're looking for the fellow inside. I don't work here. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. That's Fuck. Tough. Fuck, Rachel. <laughs> God damn. And you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure he was like another fucking microaggression, right. this white woman <laughs> thinking I work here. But, you know, I'm showing up with all my baggage, which is scared of authority, scared of the, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's like these things, we have these like cultural terms for these person to person interactions. But I think, and this is what you're touching on, it's like we're trying to make space for that nuance, right? Yeah. That nuance of like, what other things does this person have coming to the table that might get them to say this thing or do this thing? Um, and it's benefit of the doubt, which is tough. It's tough to be, you know, bring that all the time. Uh, there's uh, got all right, I'm gonna ask you a question, Cordy. You heard that story. Was that microaggression or Rachel's part or ignorance? No, nah, I think I, well, my first thought when I hear that story is if I were that guy, I would have charged you a cover. <laughs> I would have been like, oh, 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 yeah, oh, so yeah, yeah, my bad. I was on my, it's gonna be 10. Uh, 10 for girls and yeah, 30 for guys. Go ahead. And then I'm like, wait, um, actually, right. I'm on the show. <laughs> right. I think that's that, why he's a comedian. That was pretty quick. That's just, a, I, that feels, I mean, you gotta take from both perspectives. From his perspective, yeah, that's a microaggression. If I'm, if I'm that guy, I'm like, I'm the same way. Like, nah, yeah, all right, of course. Of course. Right. But, I just, there's no malint. You made a mistake. You made not a mistake that came across as a microaggression. Ah, that's the thing. We got to do. We have to split so many hairs we do. and look through so many different perspectives. No, that is just driving me crazy because but. at Walgreens, if I may, just yesterday, I was looking for something, and I was walking around looking for someone to help me, and I couldn't find anybody to help me. So then I'm starting to look, trying to figure out who is the person at Walgreens, like. That is the salesperson, right? And I'm based that on like the vests, and so then I start. <laughs> this 
looking at me. I'm like stopping people who are wearing vests because you know they wear vests with their name. Right, with the and then tab. I see that. Oh, it's, I'm sorry. By halfway through, and then I just start asking strangers, "Do you know where uh, the notebooks are?" And, well, actually, one of them knew. Walgreens is going crazy with their casual Fridays right now. People right. getting way too uh, flee with the vests. <laughs> Oh, casual Friday. Uh, anyway, uh, by the way, have you seen Uncut Gems? This is my utter obsession. I have not. I just got the screener, so I'm I'm gonna it's watch okay. that. One Wait, time out. Hold it. Let's get. You got this. What? How do you get? School? I am a proud card carrying member of the Writers Guild. That's correct. So. Oh, <laughs> Robert Mueller agrees. Uh, so, as a card carrying member of the Writers Guild, you get the for yeah. We get some DVDs and some screenplay books to vote on best picture and best screenplay. I get you, I get you. I so, get you. Uh, un- unfortunately, they, they haven't started sending DVD players yet, so I'm waiting for my DVD player <laughs> okay. so I can right. play You don't DVDs. have a DVD player. Hey, right. Come over to my house. Right, yeah. Right, come on. The, my parents got a DVD player. We still got a VHS in the crib, so I, I can run it back. Uh, we, we still have that. Yeah, I'm utterly obsessed with this movie. I haven't seen it yet. Rachel saw, uh, saw it. It's not, do you guys, as a tradition, does your family see Christmas movies? No. That's no. like a Jewish thing. Yeah. yeah. Although that's not true. I have to tell you this, if I may share this. I remember when I first became aware that it was more than just uh, Jews and non-Jews, I mean like agnostics or whatever, you know, at uh, theater on Christmas Day, because we always go to see a Christmas Day movie. It's always like- Right, I've heard, I've heard of remember. that tradition, like Christmas Day movie and then Chinese food, right? Yeah, well yeah. Chinese food is the day, night before. It, For us, uh, I think it varies. Yeah, you're right. It does vary, I know. Oh, Not all Jews are the same. Here's the rabbi right. over here <laughs> giving the decree on, on, on Jewish Christmas. Anyway, but I remember I was we saw a Christmas Day movie and Oprah was there. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. I mean, she wasn't with me, but she was, right. you know, there and... and Crazy to think she doesn't just use the theater in her basement. Right. Well, this was a long time ago. <laughs> Okay. Uh, yeah, like, why would I even bother? Anyway, uh, so our um, uh, our Christmas Day movie is not going to be Uncut Gems because a certain somebody in this room I saw I already Uncut saw Gems. it, and my whole family is mad at me for Yay. it. Like, whatever. Uh, so, all right, so did you guys used to do comic bits together back in the day? We definitely did bits, although right. I don't think that we knew that's what they were called. No, I would have never called them bits. In fact, I got very irritated when people started calling my play Bits. And it's like, great, now it's quantified in some way. Yeah, yeah. But no, we definitely did a, a ton of running jokes and like pop up characters and, and riffs and back and forth all throughout high school. And then yeah. in college, once you were at NYU, you started, you wrote, tried to rub me into some improv, some two prof. I did. Oh my gosh, yes, we did do some two prof. Well, I have to take credit where credit's due. I was, I want to say, one of the earlier people to say to Cody, you should do stand up yeah. because Cody would he would monologue a little bit to you, um, and I and he, and you know just kind of like going crazy on him, just like going off on some jokes and you know jokes rooted in observation, which right. I feel like is very much a comedy now. And we would be in the middle of uh, Red House, which is like one of the lunchrooms at Whitney Young, and I'd be like, Cody, you gotta do you gotta do stand up, you gotta do stand up, and you know of course I wanted to. It, it had always been my dream, Dad. I think you probably know this I don't know if you knew this in high school no. but to uh, go to New York and pursue more like sketch improv um, 
and you know BNSNL, which yeah, still waiting on them to call me. You know, any day now, they got my number. They're actually they texted me. SNL they, texted me last night or this weekend. That was actually the last episode of the season, so they're probably gonna get to all those phone calls. Right, now. right, right. Yeah, actually, Lauren had hit me like talk to you soon. So, um, but yeah, so I was like, Cody, man, you got it. You got to do stand up. You got to do stand up. You really got to get into it. And I do feel like there was like the cool kids in high school did not do theater no. or creative things, mm-hmm. and that. I went to a fine arts grammar school, as you know, Dad, you sent me there. Uh, and I was dealing with in high school, you know, being sports girl, but really desperately wanting to do these creative, you know, activities and pursuits that have been so key to my to growing up, uh, but not knowing really how to have both. That was a real uh, high school musical Troy yeah. Troy moment. Do you, anyone familiar? You know the movie High School I, Musical. I Dennis, mean, you know High School Musical? Yeah. And the main character, Troy, played by Zac Efron, is a hooper. a hooper, but he's got dreams of being in the play. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Right>. So I <laughs> was a real Troy. Uh, Troy Bolton, maybe was his you last guys, name? I've made a couple of references to the cool kids. As though being an actor or a comedian is not a cool kid. I don't understand that distinction. In high school, I don't think so. In in high school, in, in a Chicago public high school, actually I can't speak to all of them, but at Whitney Young, I don't remember being like, we gotta go kick it with the theater kids. They're about to tee up this weekend. <laughs> no. Having, no, I don't think that that was that. But do you think the theater kids wanted to hang out with you? No, in fact. So the implication is that you're cool, but maybe the other people didn't yeah. think you were cool. They they thought we were assholes. Right. Well, no one really thought I was an asshole, I don't think. But yeah. I was a bit of an asshole. I can't, I gotta, I, yeah, I can't front. For sure. I, mm, <laughs> but only, I was doing it to be funny for the masses and then like a couple people. But usually I was, no, nah, I was being a massive. But, I uh, I say the the cool kids because like I I kind of came around to like partying and stuff later in high school because I was so focused on sports. Mm-hmm. But I I'll never forget one day when I was in high school I went up to Gold House which was like a different world and no one that I knew really hung out there. But I was up there for some reason and I saw uh, some kids they were doing like an anime morning like a morning anime church group mashup thing oh my god and, that's and, just so accurate for yeah, gold house like and and I, these were kids that i've probably never really spoken to or hung out with and but they all just seemed so happy they loved all of what they were doing they were having a great time and i was like yeah that's dope because they are all their own cool kids to get they're having a great they're <laughs> yeah. living in their own world yeah. and it's it's good for them and so i want to be able to recreate that wherever i'm at so when i say cool kids i'm just referring to like all of the other kids within their own circle. Yeah, I think there's like, at least when we were in high school, there was a theme of like, or not a theme, but it wasn't cool to really be passionate about anything. It it was hard to make passion cool. Yes, correct. Um, But there were a few things that like, there are a few like items of passion that skated by, like sports had social capital, but then it depended on which sport. Right. Uh, Passionate about music, that had social capital. Um, What else? Some social justice had social capital, but like by and large, you know, theater and dance had social capital. Right. Um, it, it really just, I guess, depended on the activity. It just wasn't cool to be thirsty. It was cool to be indifferent and sort of apathetic. Exactly. As it is, I imagine, with most teenagers. It's like, uh, like since the 80s, like, nah, nah, you don't care, anarchist, you know. Blah. Yeah. So. Which is where I struggled because I am just, uh, I was full of passion and and yeah. try hardness and thirstiness in high school. And it was like, I don't know how to coat this. You know what I mean? Um, I can't cover it up. I can't cover it up, you know. 
Uh, Cody, so when you were a kid, uh, I know I know the answer this for Rachel, but I'd love to hear your. Would you, would you study TV comics and TV shows? Not would you at all. Passionate? No, you not, didn't watch them. Not at all. I had an interesting television background in my house. My mom is a news reporter for CBS Two Chicago. And what's your mom's name? Dorothy Tucker. I knew that. Dorothy Tucker, CBS Two Chicago's investigative reporter. Yeah, she's uh, very hard to get on a show. Just throwing that out there. Right. If she's listening. <laughs> ben, I'm really busy. I can't do that. No, I can't do it next oh, week. Oh yeah, that'll get her on. Yeah. The show. <laughs> right, right. right. Uh, I'm really busy next week too. Sorry, I'm busy. I'm busy. Well, she's, I, I just, she's her name is now. not. I'm busy. It, that's her middle name. Okay. Uh, she, she's yeah. CBS Two uh, Chicago National Association by journalist president so yes. i wanted her on to talk about that right. but whatever but my mom had a had interesting television rules we i'm the middle i'm an older brother two years older and a younger sister three years younger and we were not allowed to watch tv during the week really because it was like you know you go to school you go to practice you come home you get your homework done you sit around you have dinner and then like chill out and when we did watch tv during the week or during the weekend there was a hard and fast rule that we could not watch that show if there was not a person of color on it. So I missed Smart. the friends wave and I missed, um, you know, most of the, I missed most of the network television sitcoms. I uh, was either asleep or out having fun on the, on the weekend. So I didn't watch Saturday night live. I watched a lot of UPN TV shows. We called it you people's network, mm-hmm. right? It was, uh, in living color and living single and one-on-one and the Parkers and Moesha and all those things and Martin and, and the Fresh Prince. So you did watch all these things. So I watched those things, but very casually, like television was really just an escape. And I thought, Oh, I like that character, Will Smith. He's charismatic and fun and athletic and smart and cool and girls like him. I want to be like him, but I never thought I want to be an actor. Mm -hmm. I never thought I wanted to be Will Smith, the man. I was just like, I want to be the Fresh Prince. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I got, I didn't start doing comedy until I was a freshman in college. And that came about quite randomly. And it wasn't until after I did it and had fun on stage and thought, oh, this could be something I do. And I said, well, let me now go study. And I hopped on YouTube and just watched a lot of, you know, classics, George Carlin and Richard Pryor and Dave Chappelle and Eddie Murphy and, you know, the Queens of Comedy and the Kings of Comedy. And then I was like, okay, I get stand up now. I'm done. And, <laughs> uh, like, and even today I have to, check myself and anchor myself to a couch in front of one of the 498 television shows that are on air right now between all the different platforms to say, okay, now I'm going to sit and try and watch multiple episodes of this one show or multiple pilots from these different shows so I can absorb Mm -hmm. it. But I've never, my neutral state has never been drawn to television like that. I think I would probably be more interested in film, but Mm -hmm. I, I don't like to watch things that I enjoy doing. It become, it feels like studying to me when I was coming up playing soccer watching you know the men's national team or the world cup felt like studying and now watching shows like fleabag or atlanta or whatever it is it's like this is funny but i'm instead of laughing out loud i'm thinking who thought that how did they put that what is it like on paper mm-hmm. like, what did, the, did they do a whole bible how come that i right didn't now? get that job yeah why why am i not i could be in this room i promise i can punch his parrot so no, nah, I never really, now I study as a professional, Yeah, but never was, you know, really deep off into it as a kid. Different for you. I was, I was studious, but it, it, it was, I was studious, but it was just because I was enjoying it so much. I was obsessed with The Simpsons as a child. Um, I also feel like, that wave too. I loved, did you yeah. watch The Simpsons? No, I missed it. Because it didn't have the rule. Right. I mean, there was a poo, but. But that nah, just absolutely yeah. doesn't count. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, we th- that's a good rule to not watch a TV show if it doesn't have one person of color in it. I feel like that's a rule I often imposed on myself because uh, I was all over UPN. I was right. all over UPN. I was all over Girlfriends. Um, I was, what else was I really into? I mean, I love TV. I was a TV junkie. Like, as a little kid, Arthur, I was all over. Right. Dragon Tales, right. like... Um, Arthur. <laughs> and, but The Simpsons was really like, oh, oh this God. is so. I loved, I loved the thirty-minute sort of um, bookend nature of sitcom. Like, oh, this is just long enough, and it's set up so that it's absolutely because it feels so bite-sized. You know, turning on another one doesn't seem like an issue, which obviously was an issue in my household. I was dragged away from the TV. I feel like many times. All right, Rach, that's enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> because I could literally just sit there and keep going. Mm-hmm. Also, like. The Maury Povich show, Ricky really? Lake, like daytime trash it. I fucking loved. Wow. Sorry, are we allowed to curse in this pod? I forget yeah. what the rule is. We've already broken the rule like five times. Sorry. Just saying that. Says, it's a podcast. That yeah. is a surprise. I did um, not see that coming. Yeah, I love, right. Um, Jerry Springer, but like I was all, yeah. And then UPN Bernie Mac. Oh man, the Bernie Mac Bernie show. Bernie Mac show was such a great show. Yeah. Um, all of yeah, and then you know Martin and Jamie Fox and Jamie I was Fox the show. Jamie Fox show was so good. The Wayne's brothers. Yeah. I always Jamie Fox came on right after Martin. Watched it, but didn't like it as much every yeah. time. Every uh, time. Yeah, no, I uh, would be probably the one telling her to turn it off. But a lot of times I would sit down and watch like five minutes. That's how I saw all these movie uh, TV shows. According to the five minute bits and pieces. Right. I've never seen a Simpsons show from start to finish. I've just seen like five minutes here, five minutes there. And they're pretty funny, I mean. Yeah. But uh, she was obsessed. And there was a kid across the street, Brian, who would come over all the time. He was obsessed with The Simpsons. Yeah. And they would watch The Simpsons together and just like absorb The Simpsons. And Dennis, I've learned this, uh, he's millennial, roughly the same age. He would be absorbing these same shows, knowing the characters and stuff like that. So uh, I just generally feel that's how uh, uh, comics. Uh, develop. But I will say this about the rule uh, that was in your house. Have you ever seen the movie Crooklyn? No. Oh, it's so good. There's a great scene in the movie Crooklyn, and they couldn't really have the rule back in the 70s. Crooklyn's a Spike Lee movie about growing up in Brooklyn back in the early 70s. My right? favorite Spike Lee. Yeah, it's a great movie. And uh, so you can't, ha- I mean, back in the early 70s, there were probably two shows with black people on them. Right. So you really couldn't have the rule. You wouldn't watch TV at all. And and the kids were really independent of their parents anyway. So they were just doing their own kid thing. There was like a, six kids in this family. Anyway, they were watching the whitest show ever, The Partridge Family. And there's a great scene. That sounds like the whitest yeah, show Yeah, it's ever. the whitest. And there's a great scene where all the kids are singing the song to The Partridge Family. Uh, and it just kind of it's just a great scene that shows you, you know, like black people are, waiting, are watching white people. You know what I'm saying? Like the white people may not realize it, but black people are are watching yeah. and absorbing and making fun of, et cetera, and so forth. We're almost out of time here. Talk about what you're going to do together. I have a feeling that uh, Rachel and Cody are going to have a show. We're They're plotting gonna... and scheming on a lot in 2020. Yeah, we're plotting and yeah, we're definitely wanting to do a homecoming show. Absolutely, uh, we're combing our half hour sets and we're ready to bring them to Chicago. So folks should be on the lookout for that. Yeah, absolutely. Rachel and I are are nearly neighbors over in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and we get a chance to get in the lab every now and then and and chop up some words and and throw ideas around and get a chance to actually see each other on stage at our own shows quite yeah. a bit in New York. So we thought, you know, 
Let's bring some of this Red House, Blue House energy, some of this New York uh, cerebral comedy, some of this, this uh, character liveliness back home and, and, and do some back-to-back half hours. Yeah, so we're thinking be, a lot of fun. Be, be looking out in March. I think March, yeah, March, March April. Yeah, but we're going we're gonna to get it going. We're going to bring it home to Chicago. So wait, it'll be you on stage together or separate you alone and then Rachel alone? The latter. Yeah. Separately, two separate half hours. Although that, but you know, we would, you never know. we'd be so good at hosting together. Oh man, that would be fun. I know, <laughs> I know. We're kind of torn because we kind of want to, we might have to do a one-off hosting thing in, 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 in New York before we do the half yeah. hours and just All to right. play. That's Rachel Jarofsky, Cody Wilkins. They've been friends forever. Uh, they're now comedians together. That's my daughter. That's my baby. <laughs> oh my <gosh. laughs> That's my baby's friend. Hello, Mr. Jarofsky. My name is Cody That's Wilkins. That's so you in high school. Oh, that's still me now. Uh, right. I was so impressed that he could pronounce my name right. I've talked about this in the show many times, people butchering my name. There was this freshman, this 14-year-old. Oh, Mr. Jarofsky. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Just kidding. You got to come correct. Wreck with the dads. Uh, yeah, you got to. You do. What a nice young man, Rachel. Uh, <laughs> that's a nice young man. Anyway, Cody Wilkins, uh, thanks so much for coming in here. And Rachel Jarofsky, she's had no choice. She's my daughter. She had to come in here. Follow us on Twitter. Yes. Plug, plug, oh, plug, yeah, plug, 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 plug. Wait, plug. Dennis, do that thing, man. Anything you'd like to plug? Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> if you're New York based, I got a no. Is any some of your listeners might be New York based? I got a show at Union Hall in Brooklyn on January 11th. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Ray J 3K. Ain't that Brandy's brother? Nope, it's me. R A Y J A Y 3K. <laughs> and you can keep up with me on all platforms at what Cody said and. Like if, if you're in New York, you want to check out Pomodoro Comedy at the stand. Do that. We do it once a month. But otherwise, just keep a tab on me. I move um, pretty smoothly. You were so, in Chicago. I did a week of shows in Chicago. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Chicago is my favorite place to perform, bar right. none. It's the, the best audiences in the city. So I'll be back. Uh, what Cody said, Instagram, Twitter, dot com, wherever you need to look, you know. All right. That's Cody Wilkins, Rachel Jarofsky. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Another Ben Jarofsky bonus show. Take care, everybody. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.